Comics. Comics. Welcome to ORP, otherwise known as Omen Revelations Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Nunley. And I'm your co-host, uh, Steve Sellers. On ORP, we like to talk about geek stuff, pop culture, including movies and TV series, as well as comic books and comic characters. Uh, but that's not all, is it, Mike? No, it's not, Steve. We're also writers for Omen, Omen Comics and Revelation Comics. So we like to talk about both writing and our comics. So podcast and chill with us. Hey, so today on our ninth Indie Comics Creator Spotlight, we'll be talking to Robert Smothers III about Red 22 Studios and his 56-page Broken Planet graphic novel. Why don't you say hello, Robert? Hey, y'all, everybody. What's up? What's up? Hey. hey, hey, glad to have you on, man. So um, how long have you been into comics, and uh, what got you into them? So I've been reading comics since I was probably about, let's say about 11 or 12, because I remember the first comic I got was X-Men volume two, I think it might've been number 17 or 18. It was not the first appearance of, Haz appearance of Hazard, but it was like, maybe like in that story, like the third one, cause he was like in the centerpiece and they had like X-Men, the uh, the blue team like surrounded around him. It was, it was weird, it's weird how I remember that. <laughs> I do remember that issue. So and that's not a bad place to start. So. <laughs> right, yeah. right. I was going to say, uh, uh, the resident X-Men expert around here is Steve on that one. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, I mean, when did you start When did you start writing? Um, what was it? Was it inspired by comics? And, and what, what was ultimately your inspiration for Broken Planet? I think my inspiration for writing, period, it did stem from comics. You know, I was watching cartoons. I was watching... The thing that everybody else was watching in the early 90s like um really like pride of the x-men like that to me was like a big thing because i remember playing the arcade game and then my dad and i we went to uh, far more when it was around you know it's gone now but like mm. and we rented that uh vhs and i'm like yeah like i'm really feeling them and then i got the comic book eventually i started watching x-men animated series i started watching batman i watched spider-man yeah. And then Sci-Fi Channel, every Saturday morning, they would play anime. And I remember going to my uncle's house and, like, watching Akira. Uh, one of my favorite animes, maybe for nostalgia reasons, is, like, Iria. Is there the anime? Like, that's, for me, that's, like, a top five because it holds a special place in my heart. <laughs> but, like, that, that's just inspired me to create my own characters and my own stories. So Broken Planet is kind of something that's been in the works for like the past 20 years because I wanted to make my own superhero teams, but I didn't really decide on whether I was gonna just like write books or do comic books. And fun, another funny story related to that, my senior exit project was on manga. So <laughs> I kind of made like a, I kind of made a comic book for my senior exit project when I graduated high school. 
Uh, you're speaking a lot of my language with all of that. Um, I'm, I'm fellow familiar with that uh, card, uh, that anime and the, um, the the X-Men arcade game that was just classic. So I completely get where you're coming from. And I actually, like, for one of my senior stuff out of um, undergraduate school, I did uh, covered Watchmen. So, you know, all this stuff I completely get. Uh, anyway, um, uh, what made you decide to blend Egyptian mythology with science fiction? Uh, that's a really interesting genre blend that honestly hasn't been turned too often. So I, the reason why I wanted to like kind of bring a bunch of different kind of mythologies together is because I wanted to kind of bring what happened in the past and kind of bring that to the present in the world of Broken Planet. Because the world of Broken Planet isn't exactly Earth now. It's a, we'll say it's another iteration of it. You know how throughout the history of the world, things have changed, but they kind of end up being the same. So I wanted to have a character that's like the old school, like ancient times, that happens to like still be around in these times. That's why the villain in, in Deco, the vampire, is from ancient Egypt. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So this is the, the Earth in Broken Planet is like in an alternate universe, an alternate reality or something like that, right? Yeah, you could say that. You could even say like it's so far in the future that even though a lot of the like a lot of people talk the way that we might talk now, maybe have talked decades ago, they don't like they have records of a lot of things, but they don't have records of everything. So, you know, people right. still have cars. There's still regular buildings, and it's almost got a sci-fi twist to it with the technology and things like that. But it's still so far in the future to where someone's like, oh, man, you remember this story about this dude that used to wear an S on his chest? Yeah, that's so far gone, man. Like, was that even real? Because if you uh, think about it, a lot of the stories that we talk about, we don't really know if Hercules was real. Maybe he was a real person. But to us, he's not a real person. So make, like, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. So that's how these people view like Superman and other characters like that. Ah, that's interesting. It's interesting. I, I even um, uh, I, I tend to view comics as like a modern mythology. So I think mm -hmm. I think I'm right on the same page with you there. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I think it's very fair to view comic books in that way because in 3,000 years from now, if someone finds my comic book or your comic book or any comic book, they might think these people actually, like these people did this stuff, this this actually happened. Cause right. we don't know what, we don't know what's gonna happen between now and in 3,000 years. Something could happen and someone could just save these books and like, yeah, back in the day, they used to worship this dude who called himself Spider-Man. Like he's a spider guy. Oh man, that's amazing. <laughs> right? Right, I, 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 I'm feeling it there. I can get that. <laughs> so, um, I, I got to ask you about uh, founding Red Twenty Two Studios. Uh, uh, I, I guess it's a two-part question. I was curious. One, what was your, what was it like for you founding Red Twenty Two Studios? You know, what was the process? And also, I'm curious why you decided to do it all on your own. So, Red Twenty Two Studios is kind of like the second. I won't say the second version of the brand that I founded because originally I wanted it to to be based off of or related to my two children. I have two daughters. Mm 
And what I realized is already a company called Two Little Girls Studios. So I can't really like use that. So <laughs> I had to think of something else. And the reason why I call it Red 22 is because one of my friends who's, who passed away a few years ago, he called me Red 22. So I'm like, oh, that's, I can remember that one. Two, it's short, it's kind of catchy, and I like it. So that's why I used to read 22. Now, why did I decide to do it all on my own? Because I just figured I can I can do it all myself. I like to write, but also like to draw. I'm an artist. I like to do 3D art. So I figured why not do both? Uh, I didn't realize that uh, it's definitely a daunting task to do <laughs> something like that on your own, to do the writing, the drawing, and the marketing, and the business side, and to kind of like build that audience and build that brand to where I want it to be. Because Red 22 Studios, I want this to be something that my nieces, my daughters can take over eventually. I want them to be able to have access and power to that. Ah, that's uh, that's pretty cool, man. I like that. You know, I, I think I, I didn't really think about it until just now, but Red 22, does that not sound like a like a pilot designation on Star Wars? <laughs> it does. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of cool i like that um you know i personally found a lot of benefits um uh from from working with others in in my comics um it has helped me it's helped me uh a lot to have more than just my eyes on it and i'm mm -hmm. curious after after doing the the one issue to yourself um do you have any plans to bring on anybody else like a like an editor or a letter or a letter or any i mean anybody I that's something I'm definitely I've been going back and forth about because I've, I feel like I'm, I feel like a, a perfectionist when I look at that book it and I, I think that a lot of artists probably feel this way whether you're making a sculpture or music or anything like that you look back on that first thing that you did and then I look at my progression from when I made it to where I am now and the skills that I've learned the techniques I've learned like I would definitely want other eyes on it to make sure that like, hey, is it, do these letters look readable? Like, is the story coherent? Like, why did it, why did you decide to make this character say this thing, or why did you decide to make them do this thing as opposed to like something else to drive the story to where it's going to go? You know, ultimately, I think as as creators, if we're making a story, I think we all know where the end is it's the the journey to that end that i think is the fun part and i, I kind of sometimes i do kind of go back and forth like maybe i should bring in someone to do the letters or maybe i should have someone do the art so i can just worry about writing the story because it's it's a lot to be to have to write the story and then i have to do these 3d renders which a lot of times they don't they don't take five minutes sometimes that might take a couple of hours after mm -hmm. i spent five to six hours setting up the scene setting up the lights making sure the lights look right and then posing the characters and all this other stuff and now i gotta like render it and wait for that to happen too um, well, that's a pretty good segue um, because I, I, you mentioned that you do use a uh, 3D software, and um, I did kind of notice signs of that um, 
when I was reading through both Broken Planet. Um, I've actually dabbled a fair amount of digital art myself, so I can appreciate the work that goes into making a comic digitally. And I do agree, it often does take hours to do this. I've seen people like take all night to do a render, so I totally get it. Um, anyway, um, why did you decide to go the digital route with this book? Because I, I wouldn't be satisfied with my own art, <laughs> with, my, with my skills, because even though I do like to draw, in my head, I always envision, I always want my stuff to look as good as it did when I read or when I finally got to read X-Men Volume 2, number one, when I got to read X-Men number 25, like reading those guys like the Cuba Brothers, the Hildebrand Brothers, the Bells, Jim Lee, uh, Madeira, all those guys, Dennis Cowan. Like, I want people to look at my content and have the same feelings that I did when I first read those things, because those things are like kind of what inspired me as well, because I remember when I was a kid, that's where all these characters came from reading those comics and watching these cartoons yeah. and then i'm like let me oh man that's dope i like that like i want a character like that but i don't want to copy him so i'm going to make my own you know right, do my own right. thing awesome um yeah and i love your choice of influences by the way um now out of curiosity <laughs> um what 3d software did you use to make broken planet and uh what's involved in the digital creation process for you so the software that i use is called daz studio ah yeah and yes, it's, it's a great program. It is. There are things that I don't like about it, but I do like that you can make photorealistic and non-photorealistic like pieces. And that even that's something I struggled with. Like, do I want to make this look like a comic book using this 3D software? And if so, how am I going to do that? Is it possible? Because when I when I think about line art, I'm thinking about all the artists I've you know read their books and whatnot. And while I can't draw to their level of expertise, I want to be able to create something. If I'm going to do something non-photorealistic, I want it to look as good as it can. Same thing with the like photorealistic stuff. And what I didn't realize with Daz is, yes, the software is free, but the content you use a lot of times is not. So it's <laughs> very expensive to to use, especially if you're just starting and you have no idea what you're doing. Like I did when I started doing it like five years ago, like I had no idea. And I've learned so much stuff and then things change. They have a new engine called iRay, which it uses mm. NVIDIA GPUs exclusively. So now I have to face another decision. Do I want to use this rendering engine with, an, with the understanding that I have to only get and use an NVIDIA GPU, which right now they're kind of overpriced. So yeah. there's that, <laughs> or, do I want to find another solution and essentially relearn everything I've already learned over the past five years all over again in brand new software like Octane or like Firefly or something like that? But like using Daz, it's not only been a great tool for me to make my comic books, but it's really almost been a good tool for me to learn how to like make art. Because when I'm in Daz, it almost feels like I'm a I'm like a cameraman on a photo shoot. I have to light on my scenes. I have to make sure that, hey, do I want, what do I want this person to wear in this scene? And is is the light going to look good on it? Is it going to take five hours to render this interior scene? And if it is, how can I make that faster? I've learned so much stuff with Daz. And a lot of times it's been free just because, like, the learning is free. The content, a lot of times it's not. But you can make a lot of things work. Yeah. Uh, Sounds a yeah, lot like actually... directing a movie. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, uh, I was, yeah. So that kind of leads into the next question. Um, yeah, you were talking about uh, DAZ and, and assets. And and my question was, uh, what kind of challenges have you had in finding the right digital assets to tell you the story? Um, were there any visual elements in Broken Planet that took some work to get down to the vision that you had in the world in your head? And how did you deal with that? So the most challenging assets are probably going to be getting clothes to fit on different figures and finding clothes or find, finding clothes that like I will I would even like to put on the figure. A lot of times I end up doing what they call kit bashing. So they'll make there might be five pieces that I see and I'm like, well, I like the shoes from this one. I like the pants from this one. I like the shirt from this one. And now all of a sudden, well, do they even fit on this male character or are they made for a female character? If they're made for a female character, like what is it gonna look like when I put it on this on this dude and I like move his arm up? Is it gonna look all janky? Cause I don't want it to look janky because that's still gonna show up in my comic book. <laughs> yeah. And then there and then poke through is a common problem too, yeah. <sighs> yes. <laughs> poke through. And then you sometimes you have sometimes I'll have content where it might be a shoe. And with some things you can change the shader on the shoe. Uh, the shader on the shoelaces, sometimes the eyelets, and sometimes you might have the shoe and it's just like, this is the color of the shoe. And that now that I have to take that out of DAS, put that in something like Affinity Photo or Photoshop, my preference is Affinity Photo for particular reasons, but put that in there, uh, retexture it, and then bring it back in there and, find, and then discover, well, the texture doesn't look right because I need to slide this over a half pixel or whatever, now, like, now looks good. Uh, that's been fun at times, but I like kit bashing because at the end of the day, I can still create things that are uniquely mine using other content because I'm, I've kind of dabbled in actually doing some 3D sculpting, but uh, I'm not there yet. I can, I can work with a square. So for those of us who don't know, like, I don't know, me, <laughs> what is poke through? <laughs> um, basically, it is when the uh, figure um, pokes through the clothes you're trying to put on them or some object you're trying to put on them, and it just uh, doesn't look natural. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so that's what you were talking about, about with the clothes fitting right on the right, character. Right, exactly, yeah. Okay. That's yeah, a common okay. problem with a lot of digital artists. Yeah. One of the, one of the things I find challenging with is there's a lot more content for the female figure than there is for the male. Mm -hmm. And it's, man, it's, I'll see a piece of armor. I'm like, man, that's really dope. And I wish they would make that for a dude. And they, I'm like, because it'd be it's easy to put yourself sell. So that's what they make it. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? On one hand, it's a bummer. But on the other hand, like, I get it. People are going to buy more female figures anyway. You know, it is what it is. So I wasn't actually sure about this at first. Um, but I like the dot art for the fifth dimensional scenes. I I thought it was rather clever, clever actually to have the fifth dimension not be defined by solid lines like a like a three dimensional world would be. Uh, I mean, mm. where where did that where did that idea come from? So I always thought, let's say if someone was in in the middle of a dream, like let's say as uh, Jason is when he's when he's like knocked out, that wouldn't function like a real world. 
much like when Doctor Strange or anybody goes to like the astral plane or to like another dimension or uh, like the Nexus, like when you're there, that's not the real world that we see. It's just a whole nother, whole nother space. So your subconscious will probably function that way because you think about dreams, a lot of times your dreams, if you dream in color, you might have bright colors, dark colors, all kinds of stuff going on. And it's just like not the real world. And I kind of wanted to make it so wildly different to the real world to where you could tell like he's not either he's not in the real world or he's asleep or he's having a dream or something crazy, something else crazy is going on. Right. And it's really visually striking, too. I mean, there's there's a very, uh, you know, comics being so visual, it's it's so obvious that we're in a different area here. This is not the, the standard world here. I just I really like the visual there. Thank you. That that was kind of that was kind of what I was going for when I when I said that, and because I I've read when you read comic books like a lot of times when people travel to different dimensions it's literally just like that you know you watch cartoons and stuff people go to when Goku is traveling on Snake Way Snake Way is not like the real world it's definitely Snake Way and you can tell it. Yeah, I like the whole trippy cosmic aspect of it. I was kind of thinking like the kind of things that you would see in Infinity Gauntlet and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. Now, now my understanding now, you, and you can completely correct me if I'm wrong in my reading of this, um, is that uh, because of the trauma of the attack, Jason somehow accessed his own genetic code, and that's where his powers come from. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So the powers have always been there, but that event where and Deco essentially like gives him a concussion. We'll say we'll use a scientific term, gives him a concussion that unlocks his ability to manipulate gravity on a small scale. Okay, so he's able to access his own genetic memory, and then that's how he's able to manifest the vision of his father. Yeah, so like the vision of his father is more more his subconscious and him and his dad kind of talking to him from a a different plane of existence because I don't want to. Well, I don't want to spoil anything. I'll, of course, I know what's going to happen. I don't want to spoil it for everybody else. But like yeah. to, to actually kind of have a conversation with his dad, which is in a way himself, kind of dealing with what just happened, and also dealing with the the conflict with him and his parents, without spoiling anything. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think my next question was talking about the world building, but I think we've kind of covered that already. Um, so I'll kind of go to the next one here. Um, when we see Jason, uh, he comes across as someone who's dissatisfied with his life, and he kind of goes to his job reluctantly. But then when he goes down to his tube, he seems reluctant to leave, <laughs> even when things started turning dangerous. I, I was kind of curious <laughs> as to why he didn't just, just decide to run. Um, <laughs> is it fear freezing him rigid, or is it something in the tube that's calling to him, or what's going on with that? It's a little bit, it's a little bit of both. So of course he's definitely afraid, but there's that spirit in him. That's almost like an, an exploration type spirit mm -hmm. to where it's like, okay, I know I probably, this is probably not a good idea. I probably shouldn't be here, but like one, I'm an explorer and I kind of like to be nosy. So let's go ahead and see what's down here. Hopefully I don't die. Uh, but if I do, I guess it is what it is. But <laughs> <We're in> anticipation. <laughs> he was like, yeah. "Okay, let's let's go down here." Like, I'm not really trying to do this because, like, we don't know what's down here, and we're trying to find this 
this object called the Shabaka stone, but like, what if I don't find it? What if I found something else? Hmm. Oh yeah, um, this kind of touches on stuff we've already discussed, but uh, we'll we'll kind of get into it anyway. Um, so um, the stories presented or the comics are seen as almost archaic by this world standards. Um, what is it about superheroes that they still seem to fascinate the people of this future, even if society has passed them by in some respects? <laughs> so the thing with superheroes in this world is Jason Jason kind of likes that old stuff. You know, he's an explorer, so he, he likes to explore, but he also likes to read history. So like that's kind of his like one of his vices is to explore the aspects of being a superhero. Once he once he gets the power, because now he's like, oh, but now I can like I can do stuff. I can save people. I can not only just explore, but I can like bring good to the world. And also because there are some kind of creepy, weird things going on in this world right now. Like there's people that want this Shabaka stone not to bring peace and not to maintain peace, but to, you know, take it for themselves selfishly to take over the world. These people they're on they're on the planet. They are not on the planet. There are the people that are around looking for this stone as well to be able to take over the world. I mean, you know, do the, the typical things that a villain would want to do, which is just like be bad, not be nice to people. All right. And I, I, yeah, and that's that is kind of interesting. I like that the future seems outwardly idyllic um, when you have advanced technology and not a whole lot of social problems that are really noticeable. But then you have you know, the scenes that hinder at the darker forces leaking, lurking beneath the surface, uh, especially when it comes to corporate influence, you know, the people uh, behind the scenes. Um, so um, to the extent that you can talk about it, what kind of threats can we expect to see in future volumes? You can expect to see a little bit of everything because where, where I'm going with the story is, is very far reaching. You can expect people to find out that the things that, we thought were uh, myths and legends happen to actually be real. And it's interesting how they are real. You've got espionage, you've got some bio, biomedical experiments going wrong and things like that. And a lot of this stuff is all in relation to trying to get the Shabaka stone. But even outside of that, people just want them to fix themselves because they don't think that they are good enough and they don't see themselves in the best light. And they're like, well, I got this stuff that's going on. I got to fix it. But how can I fix it? And these people have the resources to run tests. And that's going to run head on into Jason and the other people that he actually ends up meeting, uh, which a lot of them you can, if you follow my Instagram, a lot of them you would have already met, but you won't really know like why they're even there what they can do, what their relationship to Jackson is going to end up being. And that's kind of one of the things that I'm kind of excited about, but I kind of want to keep close to my chest. But at the same time, like I'm an artist, so I like to do all these different renders anyway. So I feel like, hey, you kind of know about this person, but you don't know why they're there, but you can find out eventually. So I thought actually the, the first issue ended on this big cliffhanger. Um, when I when 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 I read it there, uh, it, 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 it's like I had completely forgotten about the cover. 
<laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, like, I, I, I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, we don't get to see it? What are you talking about, man? And then I flipped back <laughs> to the cover, and I'm like, oh, duh. It's like right there. It kind of brought the whole thing back around for me. <laughs> but uh, but um, I, am, uh, I am curious, uh, how much do you have how much do you have written for this story already? So right now I'm working on the second book, which because the perfectionist in me, I, I did have the second book finished. I did not like the way the story went because I wanted to give it more depth without saying like, well, have, like this really important thing that is happening, like where did that come from? Like why is, like, why is he all of a sudden just like, lifting up planets and stuff like there's i want to i want to be able to tell a progressive a, a progression of jason's story so like a lot of the like the cliffhanger that you saw i want to of course i'm going to start from there but like i'm working on the second book i've got character profiles and things like that and i'm trying to tell an even bigger story in the second book and introduce a couple more characters oh that's uh i i got i got two questions based on that actually um the first is, um, you say you got character profiles coming. Uh, I don't know about you, but that rings of maybe trading cards, possibly in the future. Have you thought of that? I have thought about that. And I do have, actually, there was a, a gentleman, Vince White, who put on a, a Indiegogo for what's called, I think, Powerverse. And you could have some of your characters as trading cards. I've only got two, so I've got, of course... Jason, who is the star guardian, and I have Bullet, but I didn't want like I wanted to put some of the other ones, but I'm like, no, nah, let me not. Let me let me rein it in because otherwise I'm just gonna tell the whole story and like nobody has anything to look forward to. <laughs> but like I've got a couple of characters as trading cards, but like that is definitely something that once I have the second book finished, do my Kickstarter Indiegogo campaign Indiegogo campaigns, like I do want to come up with some trading cards for them. That's really cool, you know. I mean, uh, you can't you can't do a lot with a trading card like once you once you've appreciated the art and you, but but they're so cool. I love having that little. The, I love having that little background on them and everything, and the, some, some some stats on them, and it, it feels like you get to know the character a little better. Not only that, but I I like the ones where I think it might have been the Fleer like ninety three or ninety four where you like you'd have like the Spider Man one you have like nine of them but they all make like one giant poster and it's like oh well yeah. I gotta collect all of these to get like this giant poster. I remember I had one where I was missing probably about two maybe like three of them and of course I can never I can never get the other three and it's just like Ugh. it's like I almost got it right right. So my second question is, and you said you're working on the second issue, but if you were, if, do you have like a plan? Is this like going to be uh, 10 issues, 12 issues? Do you, do you have a plan for the series as to how long it's going to be? So I don't really have a plan for how many books I want to do because uh, the story I want to tell, I don't want to, I don't want to short it, but I don't, I don't want to have like, I don't want to be like one piece and the story still hasn't finished yet. Mm. So right now, second book is second book is in the works. I would, if I really pushed myself and I had like an editor or someone to kind of help me like rein myself in and my ideas and kind of get them more cohesive. I think I could probably do like 
a good 10 books and tell like the story that I wanted to tell from beginning to end. Nice. Ten, ten issues is a nice solid run for a story, I think. I yeah. like that. Um, but that that actually about wraps up our questions for you, Robert. Um, I did I did want to thank you for, for coming on the show, though. I really appreciate you uh, coming on to talk to us. Thank you. I, I appreciate it because I don't I don't get to do a whole lot of interviews about my comic books, but you know, because we're we're kind of a we're a growing community, indie comic book creators and whatnot. So I think it's important that, you know, we kind of connect with each other and, you know, just kind of talk to people that do this stuff. And a lot of the reason why I use Daz is because I met someone locally uh, in Charlotte, because there's not a lot of people that I know of that make comic books in Charlotte, even though we have Heroes Con, which is mm. always a blast. But like I met another guy who does comic books using Daz. And I was like, huh, so I can make comic books. And I can still, if I want to, I can still draw, because you know, when as an like I'm an artist, so I kind of want my stuff to be perfect. And if I started drawing stuff, I'm like this doesn't even look half as good as the comics I was a kid. Like I, this is like trash. But like, I think with Daz, I can I can make really beautiful things without having to take ten years for me to be satisfied with my art and then come up with a comic book. Um, but yeah, he kind of he kind of inspired me to to use Daz to make my comic books. Is that's I had these stories in my head and I have to get them out on paper or something somehow. Otherwise, I'm going to drive myself mad. Yeah. Uh, I completely that. understand that feeling. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, thanks for coming on. Um, are there any other projects that uh, we haven't talked about that you either have out or you know are thinking about that you want to mention? At the moment, I don't have anything out. No, I'm just. You know, writing my writing the second book, and every so often I'll do a render. Like I've been working on this one render the whole day, and it's really been bugging me just because you know, with the 3D stuff, if stuff doesn't fit, I'm like, dang it, how can I get this to fit? Because I want it to work. But yeah, there's other than Broken Planet, I'm just I've been working on that. Cool. All right. So I, I you mentioned Instagram. I know you're on Twitter. Uh, why don't you tell people where we can find both you and your comics online? Awesome. You can find me on all the major social medias. Like I don't have a TikTok, but I got Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, I don't have a Snapchat, but at least on those three, it's all at Red Twenty Two Studios. Nice, nice. Well, uh, uh, thanks for listening to another uh, ORP Indie Comics Creator Spotlight, and uh, we'll see you next month for another episode. I hope you've had fun hanging out with us today on ORP. I know that Steve and I have had fun making this episode. If you've had fun too, we invite you to share this episode and help us get the word out. For our Spotify listeners, we ask you to please rate our show as well. That can really help to grow our audience. But to all our listeners everywhere, we want to say thank you for listening and we'll see you in two weeks.